Okay, fine, good. Well, on a day like this, we can expect uh, a little bit of slowdown after getting up, uh, shoving the uh, driveway and knocking the snow off the vehicles. And I didn't have time for breakfast. All I had was a glass of juice and my vitamins, and that was it. So hopefully I'll be able to continue on. I look forward to lunch. Okay, it is a, a past time to, to begin. <clears throat> in fact, I was in such a hurry, uh, left uh, this morning and forgot to put my wristwatch on, so I can't look here to see what time it is. I'll just have to look, look back there. So I uh, hope everyone uh, picked up a copy of the handout that's back there on the uh, last, uh, last chair. And this is what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning Talk a little. We've been mentioning this term quite a bit already in our study. The, the word chiasmus. What we want to do today is look a little more closely at uh, this term and what it means and how it's used, and uh, then look at some examples of uh, uh, how it is used in Isaiah. And we've already looked at a few uh, uh, simple examples of chiasmus. Already, so, and we'll look at some additional ones as we proceed in our study this morning. So, let's go ahead and begin our class with a word of prayer. Our Father, again, we're thankful that you have revealed yourself in your holy word, and we're thankful of those individuals in the past who have even sacrificed their lives in order that we can have. Uh, this word in our own language. And we pray, our Father, that you'll help us to appreciate more and more and respect more and more your holy word and the truths it contains. And we're thankful for the opportunities that we have from time to time to uh, study a portion of your word, and especially on this occasion as we consider the way that Isaiah presented the, uh, the message that you gave to him in his uh, book of Isaiah, that you'll help us to appreciate the way that he wrote uh, your message down in a language that uh, is effective, in a, a language that uh, will help us to understand better what uh, you have uh, as you want us to follow in, in your holy word. Uh, be with uh, the other classes as they also study your your word, that they will... Learn those things will be useful for them as they pattern their lives according to your word. Uh, continue to be with uh, those who are unable to uh, be with us this morning for one reason or another. We pray that you watch over them, care for them, give them peace and give them strength. And may they look forward to the time when they can unite with us as we study your word and as we worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this word chiasmus. It's not a word that we hear quite often in our language today, in our modern language, but it is a term that refers to a way of speaking that is very common. And we'll, uh, not only do we find examples of that in the Bible, we find examples of that in our modern political life, in our modern uh, advertising and commercials, and in our modern literature so, uh, once we um, understand what is meant by chiasmus and see some examples of how it is used, and especially how Isaiah uses it in his, his book, I think we'll 
appreciate a little bit more what, uh, what this is. I, I start off with kind of a lengthy quotation here uh, from a book by John Breck, uh, who wrote a book called The Shape of Biblical Language, Chiasmus in the Scriptures and Beyond. The, the word beyond is referring to not only in the Scriptures, but also in uh, extra-biblical literature in the history of the early church, in the early Christian writings, in early Christian hymns, we also find examples of this type of writing. So let's, let's look at this quotation as he uh, introduces uh, this in his book on um, the shape of biblical language. You notice the very first statement there, the first sentence, that it refers to this as a revolution, a quiet revolution in the field of biblical studies. And it... it has been examined quite a bit in recent years, and quite a bit of writing has been done on the use of this type of writing in recent years. But he refers to it as a quiet revolution because it is somewhat of a different approach to studying the Scriptures than, than perhaps the tra- tra- traditional way of looking at Scriptures. And he goes on to say, For the past several decades... Small numbers of scholars have been exploring the shape or literary structure of scriptural passages in order to determine more precisely and more fully the author's intended meaning. Their investigations have led to an exciting and promising discovery about the way in which major sections of the Bible were composed. And that, of course, includes the study that we're looking at in Isaiah. Only recently has it become apparent that chiasmus is one of the most frequently occurring patterns in both the Old and New Testaments, and that its detection and proper analysis open new and significant avenues toward understanding the author's message. By learning the laws that govern chiasmus, virtually anyone with a minimal sense of the flow of language can read the Scriptures with, with new depths of pleasure and comprehension. For those who come to the text with faith, they can discover that in the rhetorical shape of biblical language, beauty and truth are mutually expressive. Now, those two terms are quite often used together uh, in philosophical discussions of what is truth, what is beauty, and the relationship between beauty and truth. Uh, he says that... Um, they are mutually expressive as, they, as it is used in the Bible. And then he goes on in the final, uh, in the next uh, uh, few lines. The question we want to keep in mind is this. How does form express content? Now, I'm sure you, you have all already acknowledged that there are certain forms that are used in the Bible and that these forms that are used help to express the content that is contained in sections of the Bible. How does the rhetorical shape of a biblical passage serve to confirm its meaning? So the relationship between, that's why he calls this the shape of biblical language, because the shape of the language also helps to conform to the meaning that is being conveyed. Read chiastically, the scriptures reveal a beauty and vitality that is otherwise lost. A key that virtually anyone can use to gain access to all uh, to the all too often hidden treasures of the scriptures, the beauty and vitality of the scriptures, the treasures of the scriptures. 
is, uh, is what we can expect to receive from an understanding of how chiasmus is used in, in the Bible. And after that quotation, I, I simply pose the question, do we really mean it when we say, let me more of their beauty see the wonderful words of life? Well, an understanding of chiasmus helps us see a little bit more the beauty of God's Word. So, basically, as we've indicated already, and you see the definition down here toward the bottom of the page, and this is the definition that he gives of what chiasmus is. It's a form of inverted parallelism. Now, I'm sure you've heard uh, people talk about how there's passages in the Bible that are put in a way that one line parallels another line. Parallelism uh, is uh, one of the basic uh, uh, forms of uh, uh, poetry in the Bible. But this is inverted parallelism, uh, and the basic uh, pattern is uh, A, B, and B prime, A prime, as seen in uh, this passage from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, might see with their eyes or hear with their ears. And you see the pattern that, that's in there? He, he, uh, <clears throat> he references the ears and the eyes. And then in reverse order, he says eyes and the ears. That's an ABBA uh, pattern, as you can see as uh, illustrated down here at the, uh, toward the bottom of this page. Uh, another passage uh, that we've uh, last week we looked at, we couldn't remember that passage in Isaiah chapter 5, where he talks about those who uh, call evil good and good evil, evil good, good evil, A, B, B, A, and the, the, the other statements that he makes uh, to, uh, uh, to emphasize that idea of the, of the reversal of good and evil there in that passage. And as we mentioned last week, Jesus also used this pattern when he uh, express such uh, ideas as the, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. First, last, last, first. A, B, B, A. Okay, so that's, that's the basic, simple four-line uh, chiasmus, a four-element chiasmus. Now, just to show how it is used in a modern society today, on the next page, have some quotations uh, from... Uh, from uh, political leaders who made good use of uh, this uh, type of, uh, of expression. And I'm sure you've all heard this expression from John F. Kennedy, but you probably have never heard of it referred to as a chiasmus. Uh, have you ever heard, uh, heard uh, that Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's a chiasmus. A-B-B-A. You see, <clears throat> ask not what... Your country could do for you, but what you can do for your country, A-B-B-A. And uh, this is found uh, uh, found in other other statements from John F. Kennedy. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard heard of this one, that uh, mankind must put an end to war, or war will put an end to mankind. And this, uh, you, you, you almost see a... Six-element chiasmus, A, B, C, C, B, A. Mankind, in, war, war, in, mankind. A, B, C, C, B, A. Uh, and this, this type of pattern here, this six-element pattern, is found in the Bible, such as the statement to, in Genesis, that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. See, again, it sheds blood man, man, blood shed. A, B, C, C, B, A. 
Yeah, so that's the, that, that kind of pattern of chiasmus. Um, this is a quotation from a, a book that it was written to, uh, to try to bring attention to modern uh, society uh, on the use of chiasmus. In fact, the title of the book is in the form of chiasmus, where he says, Never let a kiss fool you or a uh, never let a fool kiss you or a kiss fool you. And uh, he, uh, uh, this, uh, this quotation, middle of the page of John F. Kennedy, used chiasmus more effectively than any political figure in history, is, what, is his uh, analysis of how Kennedy used, used this type, uh, type of language. Uh, a couple other examples from political leaders, such as George Bush, he said, just as a strong America means a safer world, we have learned that a safer world means a stronger America. Robert Dole, a government that seizes control of the economy for the good of the people, ends up seizing control of people for the good of the country. ABBA. Uh, and we can't, we can't then neglect Ronald Reagan, can we? So Ronald Reagan said, Nations do not mistrust each other because they are armed, but they are armed because they mistrust each other. A-B-B-A. So you see, uh, examples like this uh, help us to uh, understand the pattern that is used, the shape of the, of the statements that are made that is called as chiasmus. <clears throat> I'm sure you're aware of this type of language that is used and this pattern that is used, but probably have not uh, associated it with the name chiasmus. Let, let's look at how it is used in advertising, modern advertising. I'm sure you all... All heard the uh, advertisement, I'm stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid's stuck on me, ABBA. Um, just recently, I've been, I've been hearing a, a commercial on television uh, about the John Deere riding mower. It shows a man riding on the riding mower, mowing his lawn, and uh, the, uh, the statement comes on that says, it is not how fast you mow, it's how you mow fast. That is put put in that way to try to grab your attention. Um, Harley Davidson had a commercial a while back that said, "Like to ride, uh, live to ride, ride to live." A B B A. That that's a kind of, kind of construction. So we can see it all around us, but perhaps we've never uh, associated it with the name chiasmus. Here are some common statements that we've used all our lives that are in the form of a chiasmus. That, and again, we recognize these, these statements, maxims for, for living in, in the world today, but perhaps never associated it with the name chiasmus. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm sure you've all heard that before, haven't you? Okay, well, that's a chiasmus. A place for everything and everything in its place. Again, ABBA construction. Um, here's another one. Do not try, uh, pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. Confucius said many, many years ago, don't worry that other people don't know you. Worry that you don't know other people. And... Um, Here's uh, someone else that said, try to learn something about everything and everything about something. And uh, in our modern world today, perhaps you've heard this statement that we should not eat to live, but live to eat. 
That, that again, is an example of how chiasmus is used in, the, in our modern world today. In literature, William Shakespeare, for example, uh, could put things in the form of chiasmus, such as, better a witty fool than a foolish wit. Um, here's a, an amusing use of chiasmus. When Samuel Johnson replied, replied to an aspiring writer... Uh, the writer submitted to Samuel Johnson a manuscript, and uh, he read it, and he, his response to that manuscript was, Your man- manuscript is both good and original, but the part that is good is not original, and the part that is original is not good. And that's the way he responded. And uh, again, Hamlet's instruction to the uh, uh, players in, in Hamlet when he said, suit the action to the word and the word to the action. Again, A-B-B-A. Okay, now to show you how modern poets uh, have used this, uh, this type of, uh, of, of writing and construction of their material, I've included an example from Dylan Thomas. And you have heard of the poet Dylan Thomas. You know who he was. He's a Welsh poet. Lived here in America for uh, for a few years. In fact, he died in New York City in uh, 1952. Um, he had a great influence upon the modern singer Bob Dylan. Now, have you heard of Bob Dylan? You know who Bob Dylan is? Okay. Well, he in fact he, Bob Dylan is named after Dylan Thomas uh, because of the influence they had had on him. Um, perhaps uh, you, you've heard this expression that. Uh, uh, Dylan Thomas wrote uh, that was one of his poems uh, that was in response to the death of his father. And uh, this is one, perhaps one of his most famous poems that starts off, Do not go gentle into that good night. And that phrase is used a couple of times uh, throughout the poem. It's not a very long poem, but uh, it's, it's one of his more, more famous poems that, that he wrote. Do not go gentle into that good night. You perhaps may have heard that expression used in, 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 in other contexts. So, uh, the next page, we show you a picture of uh, Bob Dylan. And this is the uh, title page of, uh, of his selected poems <clears throat> uh, from the years 1934 to 1952. And the next page will show you how he put the preface, or the prologue, the prologue to his uh, uh, selected poems. A <clears throat> hundred and two lines of poetry. Now you may, uh, well, uh, I don't know if you regard this as poetry or not, but it is in the form of uh, poetry, and uh, the fact that the last words of each line uh, kind of, uh, not rhyme one right after the other, but they rhyme uh, from the beginning at the end. Notice the last word, that first line is the word now. Look at the very end of the poem, at the bottom of the fourth column, the word is now. Now look at the second line at the beginning, the word is end. Look at the next to the last line, at the end of the poem, the word is end. Look at the third line, the last word in the third line is the word sun, and the next to the, uh, the third line from the end is the word sun. Look at the, uh, the fourth line from the beginning is the word house, and the fourth line from the end is the word mouse. 
So if you go down through here, all the way through each line, from the beginning uh, to the middle, and then from the middle to the end, or the end up to the uh, up to the beginning to the middle, he um, he divided this uh, this poem into two main sections. The first fifty-one lines uh, is is here in the first two columns, and he put in the break there between. Uh, line 51 and line 52. The arrow is I drew drew in there. That that what, he didn't put that arrow in there. I drew it in there to call attention to it. That's the midpoint uh, of the poem. Now, if you start at the very middle there at the arrow, you see the word farms, and then right below that, the next line after that is the word arms. You go back up from the middle. The next uh, next line is asleep, and uh, down one more line is the word keep. Go up uh, another line, the word stream, and then the uh, next line down from that is the word moonbeam. So again, starting from the middle, you can go from the middle uh, to the beginning, the middle to the end, line by line. Each word is going to uh, uh, correspond with, with each, each line in that way. So I just call that to your attention as an example of a modern use of chiasmus in, in modern, modern literature. So let's go on then and look and see how Isaiah uses this kind of, a, of a, a construction, this kind of structure in the way that he uh, words uh, some of his statements and the way he has organized uh, his, um, his material. Look at chapter 5 and verse 24. As tongues of fire look up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames. You see the word fire and flames, the A and the A prime. Then you see the word straw, and the, and the reference to the grass sinks, uh, sinks down in the flames, the A-B-B-A. Um, <clears throat> the little quotation mark there is the traditional symbol that is used to indicate B prime and A prime, A and A prime, B and B prime. So the fire, straw, and uh, grass and flames in the form uh, of a chiasmus. Uh, looking at the New Interpreter's Bible that's available in, the, in our public library, as we mentioned before, makes this statement about this verse here. He says, The similes compare the fate of the cues with fire and stubble, grass in flame, artistically reversing subjects. So this is recognized as an artistic way of, uh, of wording these, uh, these ideas. Uh, <clears throat> he, he also says that the poetic structure of reversal uh, in, the, um, in another statement where, <clears throat> where he says on chapter 5 and verse 20, that darkness for light and light for darkness, we've, we've seen that passage already. This further underscores the reversal of morality. Look, uh, if you turn to chapter 28 and verse 7, you see that uh, where Isaiah says, All these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. So you see, wine, beer, beer, wine, A-B-B-A. Chapter 50, verse 1. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? 
Because of your sins you were sold, and because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. Here again, A, B, B prime, A prime. Chapter 51, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> you see, my salvation, my righteousness, and then uh, he goes on and talks about my righteousness and my salvation in the ABBA uh, arrangement. Chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. My thought, now this is a passage I'm sure you've heard quoted before from Isaiah, one of the more familiar passages in Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. A uh, familiar passage, but uh, have you ever uh, recognized it as a being in the form of a chiasmus? You have A, B, C, B, A, A. Thoughts, your ways, middle as the heavens are higher than the earth. B prime, my ways, your ways. A prime, my thoughts, your thoughts. So here again. Uh, if you look at chapter 56 where he's talking about foreigners and eunuchs, you'll see that the arrangement of this subject is in the, in the form of, first of all, he talked about foreigners and their role in the new kingdom. And then he talked about the eunuchs, and then he goes on and talks a little bit more about the eunuchs, and then he comes back to the foreigners. So again, A-B-B-A. Chapter 60 and verses 1 through 3 is an example of a, a, extending the chiasmus a little bit further to an A-B-C-D-D-C-B-A, where it says, Arise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. The Lord rises upon you. His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, if you start at the very beginning and go down to the very end of, of that passage, you see that you have the word, uh, uh, your light has come and the kings of the brightness of your dawn. <clears throat> the word, that is, uh, this is from the NIV uh, translation. The word dawn in NIV is actually uh, translated in the King James Version, also the American Standard Version, also in the New American Standard Version as rising. Uh, the, the brightness of your rising. And you see that in A up above here is arise, shine. And down here at A then would be arising. Your light has come, B prime, come to your light. C, the glory of the Lord rises upon you. C prime, the Lord rises upon you. His glory appears over you. D, darkness covers the earth. And D prime, thick darkness is over the peoples. So you see how it works from the beginning and the end. It works toward each other and comes together at the very, at the very ending there. Okay, those are just some examples that you'll find in Isaiah. And finally, what I want to look at is this proposed chiasmus, a further extended chiasmus in chapters 41 through 46. This has been suggested as a, a, an extended chiasmus, and you can look at it and see if it... it it does work out to be a, an example of chiasmus, or perhaps whoever suggested this uh, was uh, uh, going too far or trying to stretch a little bit to trying to find the chiasmus that really isn't there. So I, I'll just leave this with you for you to go through it uh, to see 
if you think that this really is in the form of chiasms, I'll point out some of some of the things that that do seem to correspond. You see A up there at the very top, chapter 41, verse 2. One from the east, calling him in righteousness. And go down to the very bottom at A prime. From the east, I summon a bird of prey, a man to fool my purpose. I am bringing my righteousness near. So you see the word east and the word righteousness appear in both of those lines, in A and A prime. Um, B, Calling forth generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, with the first and last, I am He. And then to look at B prime here at the bottom in, in chapter 46, says, I am God, I make known the end from the beginning. Well, you can see kind of a parallel there, can't you, in the words there? A C, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, C prime, there at the bottom, house of Jacob, house of Israel. Then D, I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my righteous hand. And D prime, down here at the bottom in chapter 45, Israel will be saved and the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. You see the word strength and righteousness are both in both of those, those verses. E and E prime, a new instrument. E prime down here, I will raise up Cyrus. Cyrus is the new instrument that God is going to use in bringing about his purposes. F, he talks in chapter 41, talks about things to come. F prime, down here in chapter 45, concerning things to come. G, one from, uh, from the rising sun, so, uh, so we could know. And G, I call by name from the king of the rising sun, that men may know. So you see, the rising sun may know, may know, uh, could know. H, here is my servant, my chosen one. H prime, Cyrus, my servant, his anointed. Now, <clears throat> this will help us to uh, interpret what is meant by his chosen one. In this context, his chosen one is explained, defined by the H prime. Who is the chosen one that he's talking about in, in chapter 42, verses 1 through 8? My servant, my chosen one. Well, if that corresponds and parallels with H prime down in chapter 44 and 45, it defines who the chosen one, Cyrus, my shepherd, his anointed. In fact, that word anointed is the word Mashiach which is the word that is translated Messiah. And in the Greek, it is the word Christos, which is translated as Christ. So Cyrus is God's anointing. This, in this context, in the context of Isaiah, Isaiah is God's uh, chosen one. He is his servant, and he is identified as being Cyrus, my shepherd, his anointed. Okay? In I, you see, sing to the Lord, the Lord will, uh, will march out in I prime. Sing for joy, the Lord has done this. He, he has redeemed Jacob. J uh, says, open their eyes, look, you blind, and see. And J prime, their eyes are plastered over, they cannot see. K, his burning anger enveloped them in flames, and K uh, K prime, man's fuel for burning kindles a fire, burns in the fire. Uh, L uh, uh, mentioned Jacob, Israel, I have redeemed you, brought you through waters, you are my witnesses. And L prime, 
a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. I provide water. You are my witnesses. And that brings us right up, uh, right here to the very middle, M and M prime. In fact, let's turn to chapter 43 and read those first few verses in chapter 43 and see if this is a legit, legitimate way to point toward the main thought and the main, uh, the, the main idea that is contained in these chapters. Chapters 43, beginning at verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not uh, set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do you recognize those words from anything? Huh? Do they sound familiar to you? How firm a foundation? How firm a foundation? Okay, that's a, that's a song. But there's a more recent song that we've been singing here recently, that uh, and that is taken directly right here from Isaiah chapter 43. In fact, I think the title of that song is Isaiah 43, verses 1 to C. So these words are placed right here in the very center of this uh, extended chiasmus. If you want to look at chapters 41 through 46 as a, uh, an extended chiasmus, you can see how the starting at the beginning and starting at the end, you can work, uh, work toward the middle and come up to the middle right here at the beginning, uh, at, at, the, at the middle right here where it says that I am the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. That, uh, you, that uh, all of these things kind of lead up to that, uh, <clears throat> that um, main, uh, main idea that is presented in these verses. So that, that is an example of what could be regarded as an extended chiasmus that covers a, a broad uh, section of, of uh, this book of Isaiah. And you may say, well, is that really there or are they just seeing that in there and trying to make it fit the pattern of a chiasmus? Well, that's why I say you can take it and look it over and see uh, see if it uh, kind of works out to be in this form. At least this is one person's idea of how it can be found here in Isaiah. How the use of chiasmus helps us to appreciate more the beauty and also the understanding, the interpretation of these passages as one line will parallel and explain a little bit better uh, what the other line, line has, has to say. Okay, that, um, that in essence is... Uh, is what is meant by chiasmus and some examples of chiasmus in the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and uh, it is also found in other part, por- portions of the Bible, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. A number of examples of use of chiasmus in, in the New Testament that uh, uh, we, we, we could look at. Uh, as we mentioned, there's been a, gr- a great deal of uh, study and, and writing about the use of chiasmus in the Bible in recent years. Um, <clears throat> one uh, source uh, is called Chiasmus in Antiquity, in which uh, the writer looks at how chiasmus is used, uh, used in, in various uh, 
writings that are found, found in chiasmus, and, and you'll see that the pattern that is uh, uh, presented in these various writings is, is in that form of a chiasmus. But uh, he talks about the use of chiasmus in antiquity uh, in such societies as, uh, well, let's look at the table of contents here and see what, what, what is covered. Um, uh, introduction. Yeah, the lengthy uh, introduction on uh, what is meant by chiasmus. And uh, here, here's the table of contents and the preface and the introduction. Chiasmus and Sumeral Akkadian, ancient uh, language. Chiasmus and Ugaritic. Ugaritic was an ancient, uh, in fact, uh, some have. Uh, Pointed how closely Ugaritic corresponds to the ancient Hebrew language. Chiasmus and Hebrew biblical narrative, and chiastic patterns in biblical Hebrew poetry, structure and uh, chiasm in Aramaic contracts and letters, chiasmus in the Talmud, uh, chiasmus in the Book of Mormon. In fact, the Mormons have done quite a bit of a, a study on chiasmus because. They used chiasmus to prove that the Book of Mormon was an ancient book. And why do they do that? Because chiasmus is found in the Bible. It's found in antiquity. Chiasmus is found in the Book of Mormon. And that's true. Yes, there are sections in the Book of Mormon that's in the form of chiasmus. Therefore, their conclusion is the Book of Mormon must be an ancient book. And not simply a book that was uh, uh, produced by a man in in the 19th century. Um, so, in fact, I, I, in, my, in my research, I came across a discussion of the use of chiasmus in the Koran. And there are sections in the Koran that are in this form. And their use of, the, of chiasmus in the Koran is to point out to them that the Koran must be of divine origin. Because the Bible is of divine origin. <coughs> The Bible uses chiasmus. The Koran uses chiasmus. Therefore, the Koran must be of divine origin. And that's, that's how some modern writers are using this, uh, this idea of chiasmus. Um, so, what, what is the real reason and real purpose of chiasmus in, in the Bible? Is it simply a curiosity? Uh, or is there something that we can see that's involved in the use of this type of structure to uh, enforce and uh, enlighten uh, something that we consider to be very sacred? Chiasmus is a human form of writing. As you can see in the discussion of chiasmus in antiquity, that you'll find it in all sorts of cultures and all sorts of ancient literature not only just in the Bible. What that indicates is that the Bible uses human language to uh, present its, its message. And since chiasmus is a human way of speaking, and discussion, the question is, why do we find it in so many different cultures at so many different times? Why is the chiasmus so popular in all different kinds of cultures? Does it indicate that this is, is something, the way that the human mind works? The, the human mind thinks in this particular pattern of, uh, of thinking? Um, 
it is, it is a human way of expressing something. And we have to admit that the Bible is a human work. It uses human language. It uses human ways of expressing things. It uses human chiasmus. And, and this points out that God used human things in order to express his divine message. And I like to look at it in the same way as we look at Jesus Christ himself. Was Jesus Christ a human or not? If we, was he also God? And we, we say that Jesus was uh, God in the flesh, the incarnation, uh, the uh, coming of Jesus into the world as a human being. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, I look at the Bible as God's Word being expressed in fleshly terms. And chiasmus is a human way of expressing things. God used chiasmus in a human, a human way of expressing things to express his word. So the Bible is as completely human just as Jesus was completely human. And the Bible was completely divine as well as Jesus was completely divine. So how do you uh, work those two things together? Of course, how, how do you <clears throat> unite Jesus as a full, fully human being and a divine individual? <clears throat> this has been one of the earliest uh, uh, discussions in, in, in ancient times in Christianity, and uh, it is still being discussed today in the terms of looking at the Bible. Do we look at the Bible simply as literature? You can go to universities all across the, uh, the nation, and you'll find courses on the Bible as literature. Yes, the Bible is literature. Yes, the Bible uses human terms and human expressions. Yes, the Bible uses chiasmus because it is a way of a human expression of things. But at the same time, it is holy and divine and true. So how do you combine these two together? In the same way you combine Jesus and, the human, and his human being as well as his divine being. Okay. Uh, do you have any real quick uh, observations or comments or questions before we need to close here? People are starting to open the doors and come in, so we're going to need to close here right away. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than than what it actually says, that yeah, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay, we're going to need to uh, bring this to a close. And next week we're going to be looking at uh, Messianic passages. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that there are many Messianic passages in, in the New Testament. We're going to look at the section of Isaiah that is referred to as the Book of Emmanuel. And uh, we'll look a little bit at that uh, most famous passage in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the 
the young woman or the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and so on. And the controversy that has grown up over the translation of that word there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, whether it should be a young woman or, as in the older versions, a virgin shall conceive. So that'll be our discussion for next week. Let's uh, bow and close with a, a brief word of prayer. Our Father, we're grateful that uh, you have left us with your holy word, and we're thankful that we can study your word and that, and that uh, we can learn those things that are useful for us as we consider the nature of your book and the nature of your word. We ask that you'll be with us as we uh, break up and assemble again to give our attention to your, the worship of you and your son, Jesus. Uh, may it be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.